Our next section is on independent utilities, or I call it homestead utilities. We wanted to have all the conveniences of modern life. We just didn't want to pay for it. Uh, we wanted to be able to have no utility bills, no monthly bills. Uh, so we did everything we could to, to meet that goal. And this is what we came up with. One is we bought property that had gravity springs. That was really important for us. Uh, there's a lot of properties like that around our area. They're not all for sale, but you go knock on doors and you'll often find them. I realize this country here, right here, is hilly, but it's a little flatter. It might be more difficult to have gravity water, but you have a lot more sun. So you could run a solar pump. If you had a little hill, pump it up there, and then you got gravity. I mean, there's a lot of solutions, and I'm not an expert on Texas or, you know, the South. Somebody else, I'm sure, is. But the basic principles will work anywhere. Now, once you get towards the Ozarks or the Appalachian Mountains at all, same thing would work. I, in fact, I know one friend that has a hydroelectric plant around North Carolina somewhere uh, where he did his. Anyway, we bought this property f for several reasons. One, it was in the mountains. We wanted a beautiful view, but it had water, it had springs, and it had good timber. Uh, so if you don't do that, then you're going to pay for that kind of land anyway. You're just going to pay for it in a well that you'll have drilled and pumps and all the power and everything goes. And eventually you'll end up with the same water, except you'll have a lifelong utility bill. And we wanted to get away from that. So anyway, springs really helped us. I just would like to mention about water here. Um, Especially you ladies, I'm sure you're very interested in water because I think we use the most of it. We cook with it. We wash the laundry with it. Um, of course, then everybody enjoys the showers. And um, water's just so useful for so many things. And like we've said, I know everyone is not going to find land that is gravity speed water. But if you can, keep in mind, when we bought property, we had no idea how important that could be for our lives and it just makes life simple 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 mm -hmm. and it also uh, provides for us simple power not just the water for what water does but that water also for us supplies power which is very nice and convenient too I think mm -hmm. we'd all admit so anyway uh, do what you can to find that water <laughs> and I think probably the Northwest has a lot more um, opportunity for that in a way because it's a lot more mountainous. And mountains are, they give you trouble in a way, but they're, they really work well. And even our puppies know the value of homestead utilities. They, in the summer, they're in the bottom section there every couple hours because they have long hair and that's their air conditioning. They love it. How it all works is pretty simple. We get heavy snow in the mountains in the winter. And the tops of those mountains probably get 20 feet or more. And it all melts off slowly through the summer. It doesn't all come at once. And so you end up feeding springs and streams everywhere. And, and then winter comes again and feeds it again. So it all runs downhill. Kind of as you can see here, the mountains are there. It runs down, comes up in a pipe, and out to your spring. That's the amount of water that we have, really. Uh, maybe a little more than that, because that, I was probably running the hydro plant when that water was there. You don't need a lot of water. You don't need a great big river. In fact, the smaller the amount you have that's just enough is better, and there's a reason for that. If you get, in our area anyway, if you get a larger stream, then the uh, state uh, Department of Conservation, the fishery people, the wildlife people, they all get excited that you're maybe disturbing something. Something like this is not a fishery. They could care less. In fact, the wonderful thing about the springs in our place is they come out on our place up the hill. They run down the hill. We can use them for everything. They go out about three or 400 feet, and it's all gravel out there, and they just soak in the ground. So they never leave the place. So nobody downstream can claim water rights on it. But if you get a place with water, I mentioned about the guy in Colorado, be sure that you check and you, it's easy to do. You just go to the county courthouse or you go to the Department of Natural Resources or whatever in your area and ask to see the water rights. 
I think in probably a lot of the Midwest, there's so much water, maybe not right here in Texas, but it rains so much, you go towards Houston or whatever, water isn't an issue. But in the West, the semi-arid West, water is a big issue because there's just not enough of it for everybody that wants it. In our area, it's not so much that true because nobody's living there. But in other parts of Montana, particularly there's a lot of ranches, all the water's filed on. Even if you buy a place with water, if your owner didn't own a water right, you can't use the water. So be sure you check it out before you buy. Um, these are the um, reservoirs again. And I want to uh, just tell you a little more how they were dug. These springs are there because there's a huge clay bank that goes back in about 80 feet up and goes all the way back to the mountains. And the water's sitting on that clay. It can't go through. There's probably three or four feet of dirt and rock and stuff. You'd never know it. On top of that, we dug that all the way by hand and used it to build a big bank in the front until we got to the clay. You dig into the clay, and then I used the clay to line the front of it. All the big stones that I found as we did that, I saved them all. They were put on the clay to keep the clay from moving and sliding around. People tried to use plastic and concrete. The water always finds a way around it. Clay doesn't do that. Uh, then you put pipes in when you're doing it. Each one of these big reservoirs like this took me about three weeks of hand digging. It was quiet. The birds were chirping. I thought it was wonderful. Some people wouldn't be able to do it, maybe, but I thought it was great. They hold a few thousand gallons each, and there's three of them because all the springs don't come out in the same place. It's all run down the hill into that powerhouse and it's manifolded into one big four-inch pipe and then into the power plant and so on. This is another one of them in a cold season. And I put this one in because this is our southernmost reservoir. But there's another spring about 200 feet away that's a little higher. doesn't run a lot, but it, it adds. And so I piped it over, and it runs through that pipe. And that, that amount of water you see running out there is on the order of about 10,000 gallons a day. It's amazing how water amount adds up. It's not a lot. The water running out of there would run your whole household, but not power. And water your gardens, probably in everything, just that amount, 10,000 gallons a day. You'd have to put in a big reservoir and so on. These three together are what run our hydro plant. Is that a one-inch pipe? That's a two-inch pipe. Two-inch pipe. It's not filled by any means, though. This is another one. This is the third one. This is what actually runs our house. I showed a picture before. It has a fine screen that I put on it, but other than that, it's unfiltered. And I should probably at this point uh, tell you that little story Linda's going to tell you. There's oh, a yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you tell it. Well, there's a series of springs on our place, but the last spring in the series, or the, there's one little one maybe, the, the property line's going this way, the hill is going this way, and so the last one is off of our place where it comes out. It ran onto our place. It's about 30 feet behind our property line, and it's therefore in the National Forest because we're surrounded two sides by National Forest. If it's in the National Forest, you can go and file on it, ask permission to develop it. They really don't allow that much anymore, but if you did it years ago, you're grandfathered in. And years ago, four of my neighbors... Uh, none of whom lived there year-round, they went together and asked me if I'd put in a water system similar to ours for them, for their summer cabins from this spring. And so it's the same system, is, is my point. Same water. same water. When we got done, one of the folks that were summer people, they'd spend a week or two a year there, and they lived in Minnesota. <clears throat> they were wonderful neighbors. and He went into his cabin in the kitchen sink when it was all done and just ran a quart jar full of water and put a cap on and took it home. And I'll tell you this story so you know what kind of water this is. He took it home. He told me this story the next summer. He said, Jerry, I had to water test it. And I was kind of, I hope I didn't do something wrong. So I sent this sample into the Minnesota State Lab. And Minnesota is a pretty clean state, actually. I used to live there. And <clears throat> about a week or two later, he got a phone call. This is the Minnesota State Lab, Mr. So-and-so. Uh, you saw, you know, Frank, yeah. He said, what's the problem? He said, well, you left a sample of water here, right? Yeah. And he said, well, we're having a little debate here in the lab about this water. He said, uh, is there something wrong with it? He said, no, that's the problem. 
He said, this is the purest water that's ever been tested in this lab. So the debate is, where in Minnesota did you get this water? He, he said, well, I actually got it from a spring out in Montana, my little mountain cabin. He says, I told those guys it didn't come locally. Not, I hope none of you, I know some of you are in Minnesota. I mean, it's good water too, but it's good water. The reason is uh, there are no minerals behind us. There's no iron in it. There's virtually no calcium. There's no salt. There's nothing. It's virtually distilled water. It's just snow melt. It's wonderful. And that's another wonderful thing. I have a quote in there. I don't have time to look it up, but you'll find it from Ellen White. When she, she moved first to Elmshaven, she said, in this area, we have pure water that comes direct from God himself. It, that's a paraphrase, but you read it. It's in those statements. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. So it is good water uh, there. The only thing it has in it is a tiny bit of undissolved, suspended clay particles, which actually is good for you, but it comes from glaciation. Clay particles. So if you take a glass of water or a pan and, and completely boil it away, there'll be this fine talcum powder, just fine, fine stuff around. It's, so it's that, but not salt. This is the one, again, in the winter that actually runs our house, and the overflow from it runs down to the bigger one that runs the power. That's again, that gives you an idea how high it is above the house. Not real high. Our house is partway up the hill, so we have very adequate pressure for the house. But down at the bottom of the hill, it's twice as much pressure, of course. And that's where we run the power and everything. There's Misty trotting along. Uh, coming out the shower, and we have a stone shower in our bedroom and out of sink. It's so wonderful to turn on a faucet and you know there's no pumps, nothing go go wrong. It just flows. Uh, and you can let it run all day long if you want it. Pipe it down the hill. When we run pipelines, uh, and I think this is important if you're going to do your own work, <clears throat> our soil is very rocky. Those rocks could, over time, penetrate the pipe. So we usually bed it in something. But you want it to be cheap. Where it goes across the road, we bed it in sand. But where it doesn't go across the road, we bet it was sawdust. And you can get sawdust in our area. There's several little mills and so on. They just give it away. And what that does, it coats the pipe, insulates it a little bit. It keeps the rocks from it. But the most important thing is I can't do everything right the first time. And so I'm always wondering, I, I need to put a T on that pipe, right? I need to run another water. So where's your pipeline? I mean, it's obvious right now, but you come back two or three years from now, it's all grown back over there. You can't tell where it is. I dig in where I think it is, and as soon as I hit the sawdust, I know I'm there. And it really does help mark your pipe. Um, that's how we do the job. Here's Ted helping me. We got sawdust from a guy up the, the valley that had his own little sawmill. Well, it's kind of dad helping the kids. Uh, this is kind of to show you a little bit of payback from when Rochelle worked hard like that for dad and mom. <laughs> now it's dad's turn and mom's turn to help back, but it's fun and we really enjoy it. But you can see it's a lot of work. And what they're doing here is they're taking the sawdust up to the line you saw, which goes up to Ted and Rochelle's house to carry um, water, whatever. And on their way back, they're picking up those rocks, which uh, Jerry told you uh, it was taken out of the dirt Sifted that they pushed out of the dirt. back in. So there's all these fist-sized and a little bit uh, smaller rocks, and we take those down and you dump them. They make a wonderful road fill. We use them to set all our posts and all that. You can see they're all kind of like drain rock size. Nothing goes to waste. You, you need to make sure you're not just throwing stuff around the woods and all that. Make every move count, and then you have a very efficient homestead. What I think Linda was meaning is I'm putting pipelines in for my daughter now, and if I ever complain, she just says, well, Dad, I built your house, remember? And so. And it's like, Dad, at 5 o'clock in the, or 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 
Where's your work ethic? <laughs> she has the audacity <laughs> to say, where's your work it's ethic? It's all in fun, and no. she's joking, but no. yeah. So there's the pond at the bottom. makes a nice wildlife thing and so on. Uh, there's nothing better than having water. You can do all kinds of things with it. It helps us have green lawns and all the flowers. Oh. It fills our pools. Uh, with, that's just spring water, not filtered, nothing. It shows you how clean and pure and beautiful that water is. We use the water of the gardens. I told you about, some of you maybe weren't here before, but potatoes are one of the big crops we grow, but they're not frost hardy. So any, and we can get frost all summer. So any night I think it's gonna frost, I turn on the sprinklers, it's gravity, it covers the whole garden. You get up in the morning, there's icicles over everything, but the potatoes are fine because the ice insulated them. It works super well. And for watering, as you can imagine, if we were bucketing water out of a stream, you can do that, but you would not have a garden that big. Uh, that would take... Or pumping it by hand. Impossible. Or even a sol solar pumps work somewhat, but they, they don't put out a lot of water, a few hundred gallons a day, which will run a house, but I'm not sure we can water our garden. Our soil is very porous, yeah. which is nice, but water goes through it pretty fast. So we have to water probably once a week uh, in the summer when it doesn't rain. It also grows wonderful fruit and um, goes over to the powerhouse. This is that same powerhouse in the winter. And now you can see how the snow helps us because it insulates that powerhouse and keeps it from freezing because there's no heat in there. Inside, uh, I showed that's a close-up. We have about, with nothing on, about 35 or 36 pounds per square inch, which is about 80 feet ahead that runs our whole place. Um, I know that one family I told you found land with them, took two days or something. We found water in their place. They have 200 feet ahead. And they have a hydro plant that puts ours to shame. They can produce four times the power we can. So the higher the better, but I'll take 80 feet. <laughs> uh, it's worked well for us. Goes in those two little water turbines. I mentioned a little bit, but they're permanent magnet. My first ones were not. They, they used regular car alternators on them, and the brushes would go out about every two years, which isn't too bad, but if you didn't catch them, then it, then it destroyed the armature. These are so much better because they don't have to have field coils. You don't have to produce the magnetism, so they're 20 to 25% more efficient. It's just a large permanent magnet in there, and the magnet just spins, and that's all that turns. Um, the one on the left, I just replaced the bearings after seven years. It was still running fine. It was making a tiny bit of noise. The bearings cost five bucks. I got a whole bucket full of them or a can full of them, probably enough to last 50 years. That's the only maintenance in seven years. Where um, <laughs> I'm actually a dealer for them, but I'm not pushing them. Uh, it's, they're called Harris Hydro Plants. And I have a magazine in the back that has them in there and I just soon you buy them from them. Uh, I might be able to get you a little better price, but they're manufactured in California. Um, there's so much stuff here. I, where's the, where's that little turban? Is it still here? No, On the back table, okay. They're Pelton turbans, and I'll just tell you very briefly uh, the story. There was a guy named Pelton, was working in the uh, gold fields in California back in the 1800s, and they were using a, uh, a water wheel to produce the power for the sawmill. And they had a lot of water. It came down. had a great big stream like this. And they just had cups, one cup like this, and around a big wheel. And, and it hit it right in the middle. And it just smacked in there and pushed that thing around. And he was responsible for, this is the story I've read, he was responsible for running that thing. And one day, he basically heard the thing go kind of like that. He says, he, instead of a lot of people go back, well, you stupid thing, he just jerked the thing back into place. He said, same water, it's running faster. Something's different. And, and the way these things work is they have little cups on them that you've seen there. If the water hits in the middle, it just kind of splats and falls off. If it hits at the side, it hits it, slides around it, and as it's forced to turn, it puts pressure on the wheel. When it gets here, it shoots off this way and you get rocket action. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. They're far more efficient. Pelton turbines like that can be up to 90% efficient. 
They're the best water wheel ever invented. And he's the guy that saw that. Then he said, what if we, we put two buckets and put a knife in the middle like this and it hits and splits and half goes, half goes this way, it'll be more efficient. And that's what these are. And it's, that's what's in the white part. There's a little turbine. The thing's only, it's in the back. I brought one. It's only this big around. They're brass, all made. And, uh, and they're actually screwed on the bottom, of, threaded onto the bottom of that uh, alternator. Here it is. They're tiny, really. This is an old one I brought just a piece. They just hit right there. They're also refined so that the water, he found that the water at the tip wasn't as efficient as it was in the middle. So each tip is, is cut away so that it hits it only in the middle. And you just have the, the water that runs this thing is only like five sixteenths of an inch in diameter, a little stream going 70 miles an hour. Just hits that, spins it around forever. Runs 24 hours That's a day. Amazing. That's what runs our washing machine, our freezers, refrigerator. All my shop tools. Everything. You know, all your electronics that you want to have, uh, microwave, everything. But we we don't we don't use it to yeah. to do uh, heating. We don't use it for air conditioning. We don't use it for hot water, and we don't use it for kind of gross cooking. We use a microwave and blenders and Bosch's and all that sort of stuff. Not electric stove. But not electric stove. Dryer. No. No. We... We have a washing we, machine. Yeah. And I, I can tell you about that since you just brought up a clothes dryer. Clothes dryers take enormous heat to run. So it's either gas or electricity. To spin the, the, the barrel takes almost nothing. And so... I thought about this after the fact, and our furnace room is downstairs, but right above it's the living room. But my neighbor, Rudy, he had a home where he and I worked together and a lot of this stuff. Right above him was his utility room. So he and I thought this through, and we said, you know, if you just pipe some of the heat from that stove up to your propane dryer and just turn the propane off, the electricity will turn the tumbler, which runs the fan, It'll suck that hot air and dry her clothes. His wife was a little His wife skeptical. was afraid it's come out smelling like smoke. But <laughs> so anyway, we, we did it. He actually just took his flue that he had coming right off the stove. He put another flue around it so he trapped some of the hot air there. It was only up maybe this far, put a T on it, capped it off, ran an 8-inch pipe up. worked beautifully. The only downside was... She used to be able to dry clothes in 25 minutes, and now it took 30 minutes. But it was free. So you can do that. And ever since, Linda's asked me, where's okay, where's my dryer? Where's my dryer? <laughs> the trouble is, is your, your flu has to go uphill Outside. for it to work, I think. And it's a living room up there, so I'm still working on that one. It is coming. <laughs> she, dries, she dries clothes outside, but in the winter, our furnace room is super dry well. and she hangs it there and it, yeah. it works. Yeah. How many volts is the system? This is a 12-volt system. Okay. You can get them up to 48 volts. And I'll just show you now that it goes into batteries as we talked before. And there's the inverter. And there's a great debate on this uh, among a lot of people who are off-grid and so on. Every notch you take, 24 volts and then 48 volts, Every time you go up a notch, it gets a lot more complicated and a lot more expensive, but generally works better for larger appliances because it has a lot more electronic urge underneath it. The batteries are the same and all that. You can put a lot of money into one of these systems. We've kept it simple 12 volt. It's as simple as you can get. Battery bank is small. It's a simple 12 volt inverter. It runs our whole place. I have virtually no problems with it. I know a lot of other people that have had bigger systems and they burn out their alternators and all this sort of stuff because it's bigger power and there's a lot of power there. With 12 volt, you can grab both ends of it. You can't even feel it. Once it's inverted, you can. But ours is a simple 12 volt system. I bought the inverter used. Um, the batteries only last about 10 years. 
They're not gone then, and in a hydro system, you could use them for many years after that. They just get less and less efficient. These are L16 deep cycle batteries. You don't want to use car batteries or, uh, or golf cart batteries. They're better, but th you just you need something like this. They've tried and tried to come up with better batteries. And you know, uh, is it uh, Elon Musk, I think? He's, he's Tesla. He's really working on that. But there's kind of a wrinkle in this that I should alert you to. This, this is hearsay. I heard it from a friend who had read all about it, so I'm not certain of this yet. But they, you know, he built a billion-dollar factory, where is it, Utah or somewhere, to produce the batteries for the cars. And they're lithium-ion, and lithium-ion are great batteries. Um, and they're lightweight. These, you try packing these things around. These are lead acid. So I was waiting for the day when good old Elon is going to make me a, a homestead-sized battery pack that would last 20 or 30 years instead of 10. Be great. Because um, <clears throat> I use, you know, screw guns and all that with lithium ion. They've come out with one. You know, we talked about the fact that society, unbeknownst maybe to them, but I think the devil's behind it, in modern society, just in the last 100 years or so, has got everybody so we're all dependent on the system. And that will be used as a lever against us in the near future. That's... Ellen White says that, and it's one of the quotes I have in there, we better have a piece of a land where we can grow our own provisions because in the future you won't be able to buy. We need these country homes. Well, Elon Musk has come out with a deal. You can buy his battery now for your homestead, but you can't touch it. They, he sends technicians out. They install it, okay, and you pay a monthly fee and they maintain it. Well, that's, yeah. So I said, well, thank you. Don't need that. Uh, and so we still use these. Um, I've set it up, though, and this is just for some of you. I think the day may come when our inverter fails and I can't replace it. Then I am down to 12-volt power. So I bought all the wiring in our house is number 10. And those of you electricians know how stupid that might be. Because uh, everybody's, it's 14, maybe 12, and 10 once in a while. It's all 10, because 12 volt power takes 10 times the current, because it's it's one tenth the voltage. But I have a whole box full of 12 volt light bulbs, because they make them for the RV industry. And if that ever happens, I'll just unscrew all the others, put them in, and we'll have 12 volt light. We won't have appliances, but you still have all the light. And even if the batteries fail, you just have to figure out how many light bulbs equal your output. Turn them all on and then turn on the power. And it'll all run fine till one light bulb goes out. And then all the rest of them will go up a little in brightness and you hustle down and turn it down. But you could, for years and years, you could work that way. And eventually we just have water for your garden and your food. And you can live without electricity if you have to. You can't live without water. But I think keeping it simple has worked well for us. But I've had people tell me, Jerry, most people never be satisfied with a system like yours. It's just too simple. Uh, one of the things that it doesn't do well, it will not run air compressors well because it just doesn't have... Air compressors have a reactive load to get them started, and it just won't overcome that. Bigger ones will. We can have a small air compressor, enough to blow up a tire on your car and so on, but not to run big tools and so on. It doesn't matter to me. This will run all kinds of power tools, chop saws, all that kind of stuff. Um, there you can see it's running at 12 volts, 30 amps. No, ours wouldn't run a welder. The really big ones might run a small welder. Welders take thousands and thousands of watts to run them. Um, this is the outflow in the winter. And because it's spring water, 40 degrees, this section of the pond never freezes, even at 20, 30 below zero. Which is nice in a way because some of the wildlife that are there, they always have open water. This is downstairs in our house. The electricity all comes up. It's three, a little over 300 feet in underground conduit. comes up that gray pipe and goes into our regular breaker box. And then from there, it goes all over the house for all the lighting you want and all the appliances and so on. And you'd never know you weren't in a regular house. We've had 
one or two appliances. We bought one blender once that would not run on inverter power. And we, we had, uh, we've had a couple of um, heating pads wouldn't run. And the, the heating pad does fine. What won't run is the little control thing in there doesn't like, and we could go on all the scientific stuff, but basically out of an inverter like that, when, when you produce regular AC power, it goes through a big magnet down at the big power plants. And as it goes through, when it cuts directly through the magnetic lines, produces full power. As it's swinging around at an angle, it doesn't. So it makes a sine wave, they call it like this. Well, these are not true sine wave inverters. They're a lot cheaper. They do this. They go They're actually stepped. And some sensitive things can sense that, and they don't do well. We've had a handful of things like that. You should know that. But most electronics, like computers and all that, run fine on them because they don't run on AC power anyway. They all have a converter in them that takes it and puts it into DC anyway. So we haven't had trouble with those. I also have a shop. It's full of all kinds of tools. You can run all kinds of stuff that you want. The reason is even a big chop saw, it takes a lot of power. It's just zzzz and you're done. Uh, sanders, drills, and all that. You don't have them on for hours at a time. It's usually do a job and it's done. So it works pretty well. Yeah. On your exterior and interior wood paneling, what have you used to treat it and maintain it over the years? The best wood stuff that we have come up with is called penafin. Probably can buy it here. One th reason I like it, it comes from Brazil, but you don't have to cut a tree down. It comes from the nut of the rosewood, I think is in the name of tree down there. And it's the deepest penetrating oil I've ever found. It really goes in deep and it lasts a long time. There's all kinds of stuff on the market and I'm not saying it's the best maybe for here. You have a lot hotter days and sun, I don't know. But for us, it's worked super. And it's not, um, it's not a contaminant in any way. It doesn't have any preservative in there, or any poisons or anything. It's just rosewood oil. It works well in Brazil. It's tropical. Yeah, it's tropical. It works well where you are, too. Yes. Yes. So I, that's what we use. Brian? Penafin. <coughs> that's it. That's not the poisonous thing. No. That's there was another product that sounds similar to that. I'm trying to remember the name years ago that was a preservative. It was poisonous. And it kept all the bugs out, but it wasn't good for you. It's not that. It's just plain penifin. It's kind of expensive, but in the end it isn't because it lasts so long. It is a penetrating oil, though, so once it's on, you're not going to just peel it off or anything. I mean, it's in the wood. Um, this shows you a little better shot. This is our heater. Um, I've never found a better heater anyway, anywhere. It's just quarter-inch plate steel that's been welded. But be sure if you have them make one of these that they weld it inside the seams and outside. Otherwise, they can split because it gets really hot and puts a lot of pressure. <coughs> Halfway down inside, it has like an inch and a half tubing that's all the way around welded. That keeps the sides from going like this at all. It's two and a half feet deep and two feet by two feet. And be because it's two feet, you can go down to any big steel <laughs> shop and buy one four by eight sheet of quarter inch steel and you make that whole stove out of that one sheet because they just rip, they have these big shears it's like this. Take it to a welder. I think the last one we had built like this cost $800. You can easily spend three or $4,000 now on a really good wood heater. You can buy cheap ones, but this one will last 100 years. A lot of them don't last that long. It has no catalytic anything on it. You don't need any of that because you can see the doors cracked a little bit open. We burn only hot, clean fires. We don't shut it down. And that way you don't build creosote. You build a really hot, efficient fire. Flue goes first through that tank there, produces all our hot water, goes into that stone. Concrete goes through 50 feet of that. Time it gets out, it's milked all the heat out of it. And you can leave it till tomorrow. And the house only changes a few degrees when you burn. And by morning, it's changed a few degrees the other way. It just stays steady all the time. It's wonderful. The hot water tank is on top, and it's also made out of steel with a well, a well casing going up the middle. So the first flue gas coming off the fire goes right through your water, heats tons of water automatically. We tried in the early days all these thermal siphon things and pipes and all that, and it just didn't work that well. It worked. This works fantastic. In the winter, we have way more hot water than we need. 
and it's that's a nice problem to have. The big I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, a quarter inch thick casing, because that stuff's really strong. And then it's just welded. There's so many things here. I, I should just mention, if any of you want to build a square water tank like that, you can't just build the tank, because when it fills up with water pressure, it'll bulge out, even quarter inch steel. So you have to put some little cross weld, welds inside of it. I should tell you that. Um, because the guy who built my first one, he was testing with air, and the whole thing just like a balloon and it's like how can this happen with quarter inch steel it's amazing the amount of pressure 20 pounds per square inch on a side like that so that's why all regular tanks are round they're already bulged is what it amounts to this tank in the middle is really important too I bought that tank for 20 bucks I think you can get tanks at least in our area they're used there's nothing wrong with them somebody doesn't want them you just get it you know they're usually galvanized I mean they're wonderful pressure tanks what we do is we take our spring water, which is 40 degrees, it goes in the bottom of that outside tank there, because 40 degrees is cold. It takes a long time to heat that up to 130 or 40 for hot water. It goes in there, fills that whole tank. It's a 120-gallon tank. Just sitting in the room, it gets up to room temperature or a little above sitting next to the heater, so it's usually 70, 80 degrees. Out of the top of that, which is the warmest water, comes a pipe and goes down and in the bottom of the real hot water tank. So you're starting with 70 or 80 degree water instead of 40. But there's another wonderful thing about it. Some of you even in the south here may have had trouble if you hit a toilet, flush it too many times or whatever with cold well water, it starts to sweat. That's just like a cold glass of water on a hot, humid day and you can see it. And then that can cause mold or other problems. You know, it's just kind of a problem. It can even drip and whatnot. So out of the top of this preheater tank, we have a T that comes off, and it goes to flush all four toilets in the house. So they're flushed with lukewarm water rather than cold water, and you don't have any problem with that. That solves that problem too. Someone else have a question? We just have a regular septic system. We don't have a gray water system. It all goes in the same septic. This, I'm going now to show you how to make hot water around the whole place. This is, again, this is in the solarium, our year-round greenhouse. It's the same principle, except here we want as much hot water as we can, so the heater is actually built right into the tank of water. I got that tank for 70 bucks. It's a 220-gallon hot water. It was a pressure tank. Again, we welded 8-inch well casing in it. It is so efficient at producing hot water. And we use the hot water to heat our pools, to run the wash machine down there, showers, and we use it also to water all our sensitive plants. We, to do that, we only heat it up to about 90 or 100, and it's all piped clear over to our orchard greenhouse, and all our tomatoes and everything all get warm water instead of 40-degree water, and they like that. Uh, fruit trees and berries doesn't seem to... They don't seem to matter. Um, so that's how we make hot water there. This is another one. This is in our that little rental cottage or our caretaker's cottage that I told you about. Again, you have a stove that heats the place. On top of it, this is a regular 52-gallon hot water tank. Something happened to the electrodes, so they just threw it out. I got it for 10 bucks. Okay, and you just weld those shut, and then you. This has a six-inch well casing going up it. <coughs> The fluent flames and smoke go up the middle, it heats that tank up, produces all the hot water you want. And in the summer, you build just enough fire to heat the water. It doesn't overheat the place because all those walls that you see in the core are all concrete. And, and so it absorbs it. The guy that lives there now loves that little thing. He comes home, he's got all the free hot water he wants, and he can't believe it, how simple it works. Yeah. <laughs> I do have plans for each one of the buildings. We drew all our own plans for our home, this building, our solarium, and everything. They're just home sketches. They're not what you'd call professional blueprints. That's all I have for them. Um, basically, this little building, um, it was originally our boys' bunkhouse for our school, and we remodeled it into a cottage when we retired from that. But I learned real quick, even there, it, the boys would overheat the bunkhouse, and then it wasn't really safe. 
they eventually started a fire, which we put out, and all that. And I said, you know, we need a new bunkhouse that's teenager compliant, I guess you would say. <laughs> so the core, I, I wish I had more. I may have a few more shots of this building later in our business section because we rent it. But the core of the building is all concrete walls, concrete ceiling, floor, the bathroom, everything. So it didn't matter how much water they spilled. They couldn't mess anything up. It didn't matter if they put jeans next to the heater and caught them on fire. It was a concrete ceiling anyway. And that now moderates the heat in there. And so it absorbs all the heat from that heater and doesn't overheat in the summertime. And Ben loves it. He tells me he just can't believe how wonderful it works. If you are starting a, a home and you want it simple to start with, just build one of these. And you have all the hot water, it heats everything, put it in your basement, it just works grand. Um, and you think of how many thousands of dollars you're going to save over time if you're using propane or electric or get natural gas or something like that. But you've got to have a wood supply, of course. This is actually in Rochelle and Ted's new home. Rochelle grew up in the garage. She grew up with... Uh, wood heated water and she said Ted I, I don't want to pay a propane bill all our life let's and I had an old one now this is where we learned that you build one of those square tanks this one doesn't have the insulation on it will bulge so what we did after because it was after the fact we put this angle iron on it and that solved the problem that's welded on there to keep it from like this and same thing flu goes up the middle that's that's the new one cost eight hundred dollars with the door on it, and we just had a guy weld it. it. Produces all their hot water, summer and winter, and it actually heats the whole garage and the whole apartment above. And it's it's amazing how easy it is, and because it's in the garage, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit messy. It's not in the house. They bring firewood in there and burn. We put the block around it largely to protect Curtis. Um, he still doesn't know that you don't touch everything. They're the ones, of course, I told you this before, that had, we're up on top of a hill. And if you've all heard this, we can just go through it fast. Is there anybody hasn't seen this? Okay, well, there's a few. If you have a place that doesn't have a gravity spring, but you have some water source down near the bottom of a hill in a ravine and so on, uh, you can put one of these in. And I actually have it right here. Um, they're called high lifters. It's the greatest little invention I found. We just put this in about two years ago for Ted and Rochelle because they live on top of the house. This little deal, top of the house, top of the hill, uh, it has a couple spots where you got to bring the water in. It simply uses the flow of the water coming from your spring or stream, so it has to go downhill a little ways. In here, it uses most of the water to pump a little of the water. This one's a 4.5, which says right there to 1. It'll pump at four and a half times as high as the inlet water. So our water's coming in 60 feet down the hill, but they're 220 feet high. Pumps 1,000 gallons a day to the top of the hill. No, no power, no electricity, nothing. They're wonderful. So if you have a situation like that, you have to have a minimum of 33 feet of drop. It can be over a mile. It doesn't matter how long it is, but it has to drop 33 feet before you put it in here. Then it'll pump. 33 feet is the minimum drop, but that can be way down in a ravine. This is the 4.5, fit our build. He makes a 9 to 1, and those will pump up to 1,000 feet high. Clear up a mountainside. It's amazing. Um, and, but they pump half the water because they're pumping twice as far. And it's called a high lifter. I had, I had a whole bunch of leaflets on it. There may still be some back there. Actually, I'm not pushing it, but I bought this one new. To bring it so people could see and we already have one if somebody wants to take this one home because you stay there shipping you know I would sell it but you should do the research on it it make sure it works for you in our situation we had another little spring it was really just a seep it only runs three gallons a minute so it isn't much of a spring it's piped down to our powerhouse right behind the uh, where the two turb water turbines are I put it on the wall there because you can't freeze, obviously. In this country, it wouldn't be that bad. You just put a wood box somewhere. It just can't freeze. And then you put a pipe clear to the top of the hill. There, a pipe going up is like 600 feet. And it ends up in this tank, which is a 1,700-gallon variable tank. It's uphill from their house on top of the hill. 
you see the sand we put around to bear, you know, to berm it, and then we did the rough dirt, which came from their basement. Dug the pipe. There, the one-inch pipe is the feed pipe coming in. The two-inch is going out to their house. When it's buried, it looks like that, and they have solar cells that do their electricity up there. You can see they work in the winter as well. They also have propane as a backup because they're gone some when they're working. I put this one in. If if you think you don't have any water on your place. You just have a wet spot. You might have enough to run a house. What this situation is, about the same level where all our other springs were, we put a road in up to where Ted and Rochelle's house is going up the hill. We ran into a wet spot. Really, you couldn't see any water running. Maybe a tiny bit. It never went very far. But in the winter, it would spread out from there. It was seeping. And it would freeze, and then it'd run over that and freeze, and pretty soon you had, we had this sheet of thin ice across the whole section of the road, and it was slippery, it was a pain. And I said, we've got to fix that. So we dug into the hill along the road and found the spring. And it doesn't run very much, but it runs a seep. And you can see we got to the clay, that's where it was, and it was kind of working its way up from there. So when you dig that, you can make a place like this on your place if you wanted, yeah. Uh, the question was, um, how about a ram pump? It's kind of a technical question, but ram pumps work by momentum. It's, it's called water hammer, and they have to have a steel pipe, and they'll work at only five feet ahead, very, not very much. They're very inefficient. They're very noisy. They throw water everywhere, but they will work at a lower head. These are much more efficient, quiet, but they have to have 33 feet of head to work. So that's the difference between the two. I have a ram pump, but I've never installed it. I did work with one in a, a neighbor up the valley years ago. <coughs> Excuse me, I just had one on a big stream. He had it piped over here, it threw water all over the place. They only used it in the summer because it would just, you'd have to have a big building and a lot, you know, to control all the water spray that they do. But they are wonderful. If you all know what a ram pump is, they will work as well to pump water with just using water pressure. Anyway, you can dig something out like this when you're done. We put perforated pipe in there, then buried it with drain rock, and went into a little collection point. Uh, over the top of it, we put big boulders like this, and you wonder where all those rocks go that we pick out everything. This is the place that they go. That way, it wouldn't get silt down in there or anything. And it's piped across, and there's a steady little stream about the size of your finger comes out of that constantly now. That little stream would run a whole house. It would not run your garden or any power or anything like that. But I, I haven't measured it exactly, but I think it would run a few hundred gallons a day. And it would flush all your toilets and showers and all. And it's just a seep. So don't give up if all you have is a little wet spot. You might be able to run something like that. They have a regular septic up there. But even here, septic tanks are getting problematic at least in our area, they want you to have electricity to run a septic tank. Is that is that what you've run into? Basically, basically what's happened, they found over years when people had gravity septic tanks, every time somebody ran a little water in the faucet or flushed the toilet, it's just a few gallons of water. It would run over and the tank's full of water. So that little bit would just run over the top. It'd run out 10 feet and kind of soak in the ground. And the whole drain field, that's hundreds of feet of stuff, never got used. And it was all concentrated in one spot. So now what they want you to do, at least in our area, is you have a reservoir. It runs into there. When there's 300 gallons, trips a switch, runs an electric pump, who pumps, pumps all 300 gallons at once and spreads it evenly over the whole field. Well, that's a problem for people in our valley. There's no electricity. But they'll still let you run a gravity septic tank. But you have to have enough drop. You had to have about, I think it was 13 feet or something. It trips and it just runs a big whoosh down there. And as long as there's enough drop, it does the same thing. So keep that in mind. Septic tanks are getting more and more problematic. That's their drain field. The other big is thing now. Is there a requirement for how long the drain field needs to be? Yes. Yeah, you have to have a certain amount of, of length of drain field. When we built, you could build your own and do what you want as long as it wasn't run on your neighbor's land and you're all grandfathered in.
works fine too. Firewood. Um, this is the thinned out woods on our place. We got rid of all the little trees. That's what we burn. We talked about that before, but we have big trees too. Buy land or get land that has a forest on it, sufficient so you can have a never ending supply of fuel for cooking, hot water, heating, whatever you need. It's very important you're buying land. These are what tamarack look like. Um, that's why they're the in the fall and the king of the forest. They, they're the only conifer that turns yellow, beautiful yellow, loses its needles. And that's why it works so well here because if it goes through a fire, it'll just grow new needles and pine's done. In the wintertime, snow doesn't cling to them, so they don't fall over very often. All kinds of things about them. They're beautiful trees. These are uh, the ones right out our front window. We use them for firewood. That's, uh, we put a lot of roads in to access them. That's the woodshed. That's the chute that goes downstairs. There's the chute when it comes down, and that's when it's the full down there. That'll last us about a month, depending on the weather, in the winter for about five heating months. So we use about five quarts. That's how the heater works. You can see it's propped open so you get a hot, clean burn. Yeah. I just, I don't have that. But halfway up each side, all the way around, I think it's inch and a half steel tubing, square tubing, is welded. We did it wrong the first time. And then I had to have a guy straighten it out and weld that. Now when I have them built, this is, uh, I think, our fourth one. Because we have one in the shop. We have one in their house, our house. Yeah. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Uh, we basically heat it with just air, okay? Um, this is another th innovation that we got from one of our neighbors. Maybe some of you all know about this, but a lot of people start their fires with newspaper or paper or whatever. And we want to use our ashes in the garden. We don't like having ink, burned ink and all that kind of stuff in there. Who knows? So what we start with is sawdust. Use dry sawdust soaked with a little bit of oil. You can use almost any oil you want. You, you, yeah, not with water in it. You put a scoop of that in, and it burns for a long time, clean and nice. That's the best starter around. Um, from the heater, you're asking about this, it generates a lot of hot air because it's a small little room down there. This goes up. That's a foot by four feet. At the end, it comes up right in the windows of the living room so that you're putting the hot air where you want. Now, we've stayed in motels and whatnot on the way down here, and a lot of places have what's called forced air heating. Okay? Forced air heating, they just use a pipe this big or maybe this big, and the air won't flow. It flows just a tiny bit, so they force it with a great big fan. They can take a lot of power to run just that big blower, and it's constantly coming on and off and on and off, and it's noisy, puts dirt in your house and all the rest of it. If you just put large flues in the first place, plenty of air moves, and it's silent. You don't need a fan, and you save a lot of energy. That comes out upstairs. That's the living room. That little planter out there where the flowers are is there to disguise where that comes out so it doesn't look bad. And that's where it's close. You see behind the flowers, there's a, there's a vent there, and the hot air is coming up right where the cold air is trying to come down, and it destroys that cold air effect. You can see the snow outside. Is there ductwork there? No. It's just no that okay. the only ductwork is that. The, and the oh. Yeah. So the ductwork is that cement. It's just that flu, and it goes where you see the kind of end there is where it goes up behind those flowers. You can actually, in the dead of winter, when I'm heating pretty good, you can look out there, and the leaves are kind of doing this little thing. There's just a little bit of air movement. You can't hear it. That's how the whole place is heated. When you tell them about the... <coughs> okay. So, I, we also have a register. This is another really good innovation for a house, especially where you have mud or snow, uh, a muddy season. This comes from the furnace room. Hot air comes up there but it's in front of the front door. We live in a woods. Uh, it's dirty outside and it's snowy. Kids come in, dogs come in, all that sort of stuff. If you put it on the inside of the house, all the snow that comes in, you stomp your feet, it just melts and goes down. And then there's a bottom, there's no bottom in it. It goes down three feet. 
and water all soaks away and about once every two or three years we dig out five or ten gallons of beautiful pine needles and compost basically. Uh, <clears throat> it's also an access tunnel for lots of our plumbing and electrical so we can repair them if we need to. Uh, and so it has like three purposes and it works wonderful. We have one of those in virtually every building now where people walk in. This is into our bedroom and it has a flue coming from the furnace room but you, I put a ruler there so you can see it's about a foot by two feet instead of a six inch hole. If it's that big you don't need a fan and it just works automatically. But the mistake a lot of us make is they get the hot air there but hot air won't go there if the cool air in the room doesn't have some place to go. So you have to have a cold air return. And that's what the stairs are. At the bottom of the stairs, there's that little hole that goes right into the heater. So when the door's closed, the cool air goes in there, gets heated, goes up everywhere you want it. If you open the door, cool air comes down all the others and the heat goes where you don't want it. So you have to plan it out that every room has a cold air return. These are called gravity furnaces and around 1900, all the wealthy people in the U.S. all had a system like this. Some of it was great big tubes and so on. And then forced air came in, they threw them all out. It works wonderfully, saves a lot of energy. But Linda will tell you about what happens in the dead of winter. Well, I think Terry mentioned you can end up having the problem of too much hot water. And so this was kind of a retrofit, which worked out really well. Um, we uh, have the levers that we can turn the blue one hanging down. If we turn it so it's on, then that comes out of our hot water tank. And you don't want your hot water tank to get, well, we have done it, get steam. And then if you want to take a shower, it doesn't work, just steam comes out and you waste all the hot water to steam and then it's all cold water again. But anyway, what you do before that point at about 160 degrees, you can turn uh, uh, the valve so it's flowing and it actually goes around upstairs right now through our daughter's bedroom, down into our bedroom and around through, you can see baseboard heaters and adds an amazing amount of warmth to the house. And it goes right to the outside walls where you need it the most. And not only is it heating where you, this is when it's 20 below zero. You really need heat uh, on the outside edges. And the hotter you get it, the faster it moves. So it works like a radiator, so your hot water heater never overheats. And, and we wondered if it was gonna, is that gonna prohibit shower, taking showers? Is this gonna be a pain? You wanna take a shower, you go turn it off, then you can take it. No, it, you Doesn't never matter. even know it's running when you take a shower. Now the thing we've done is we've gotten uh, the water hot and have the thermosiphon running. We're going to town. We leave it on. We just leave the thermosiphon on, stoke the fire, and we go to town, come back. 12 hours, 14 hours. They're long town days. Uh, later, and you go down there. The water's still like 120. And the house is warm as toast. I mean, it may be two degrees it's different so than when you left. It's so automatic. It's amazing. Yeah, With it is a really wonderful system, and it requires no pumps. Now, right. this system is what people use, and they run tubes all through everywhere, and so on. But those all require pumps to keep it working. It doesn't take a lot of power, but I didn't want to be dependent on those pumps uh, making it work. And and you can, I have no idea because this is all we've done. We're heating two rooms with it how much it would take to heat the whole house with no pumps. I think it could be done, but somebody else out here is, needs to do that experiment. It works this way, I can tell you. And I won't show you the, the actual tub. We actually have a small stone hot tub in our bedroom because when it really gets hot and we have excess water we don't know what to do with, we just fill the hot tub and we take it to soak. And you might think I'm wealthy, so I won't show you the little thing, but it, it works wonderfully well. And that's how we control the system. This again, I showed this picture before. This is Misty demonstrating our mass heating system. The smoke comes out of the heater downstairs into this walkway. So the whole walkway is heated with smoke. And it's about 25 feet long and it gets nice and warm for your feet and all. Then right here, you can see the corner of the fireplace. It comes around like this into the fireplace and straight up about 25 feet. 
you have to have it up for your last run, and that's what drives the whole system. But by the time that smoke gets through all that masonry, you've taken all the heat out of it, and it's very efficient. And we can run the fireplace, of course, just a fire in there. It heats the whole mass. It takes about six or eight hours or more, and then you go up and you touch it anywhere, and it's like 110, 120 degrees, and it's 40,000 pounds, so it heats for an awful long time. It makes for a warm floor for people to have church. And when you, looks like this outside, it can be very cold in the winter. You have a comfortable, nice home inside. Now, we've got to go through. Some of you have seen this is Linda's wood cook stove. If you, anybody wants information on these, we actually sell these now. I'm not pushing them. But, oh, if, you, yeah. but if you want uh, information, it's in the back. Uh, they're modern stoves, so they're airtight, and they work really well. And part of the we didn't show you before there, how do you run them? Well, that's how you run them. We have a little cart. That cart rolls over into that door, which goes in the pantry, and that's where the wood's stored. So if you're going to use wood, you want to do it with some finesse so you don't have wood mess all over the house. And that's how that works. <coughs> it makes for a wonderful place to do potlucks, like Linda said. This is one of our, some of you may know, uh, the Karina Petty, they're part of our church group there, and <clears throat> we do a lot of cooking on that wood cook stove to make these wonderful potlucks. And I told you about the fact that Ted and Rochelle have a dual system. Some of you are going to want that. Uh, the other thing where we use wood is to heat our orchard greenhouse, and I'll show you a little more about that. Some of you may see there's a black blob. Do you see it? That's panther. Just just at the side on top of the heater under the shield, that's our cat. She loves it up there. And, and I used to say, Panther, you got to get off of there when I start a fire. Now I don't because it takes a long time to heat that 900-pound heater up. And as it gets warmer and her patch, finally she says, you know what? Something's not right here, and she jumps off. So <laughs> it doesn't hurt her. But that's how we heat our whole orchard greenhouse for two months a year in March and October in the shoulder seasons. Otherwise, we let it go in the winter so it'll freeze up, but it never gets below about 20, so they have the fruit trees have a wonderful time. That's what it looks like inside. It's a big heater. You can stuff stumps and rotten wood and anything like that. You get a lot of BTUs out of wood you'd never use. Otherwise, that's the pile. You can see the stumps, and I have neighbors give me stumps now because they didn't know what to do with them before, and they stumps have the most heat of any part of the tree. They're full of pitch and all that sort of stuff. And you end up heating the solarium like this too. I got to rush through this. Um, same, same heating system. That's the wood. And you've seen some of these pictures. You dump it down there. Comes down the chute. That shoots also the cold air return. You pile the wood. That wood stack will do through the whole winter. And there's the heater that it runs. And ends up heating your all your... Uh, pools for you and everything. The flue comes under that uh, bridge and even when it's cold you can have a nice place. This is our our um, solar hot water heater. It works about four or five months out of the year. Just 40, wa 40 degree water in, 100 degree water out, 1,000 gallons a day on a sunny day. Works wonderful in the summer. And I wondered what was going to happen because I can't drain it because it's sloping downhill and it's all in these circles. I just take the pressure off and leave it. The pipe, it's one of the wonderful thing about polyethylene pipe. It actually swells up like a balloon and just goes back. I have one or two breaks every spring i got to fix. But we've had it now, I think it's been 25 years. And I've told some of you before how this system works. Uh, you need ventilation in a house. So some of you haven't heard this. I'll try to do it really quick. It goes into our, it goes into our root cellar. Cold air comes in that flue past the, the uh, freezers, sucks all the moisture out of the root cellar, so you have a nice, cold, dry root cellar. goes into the house as humidified, fresh air. It solves all the problems that you have. You don't need humidifiers, dehumidifiers, ventilators, or anything. comes back under those doors. makes for a wonderful home environment. And I always like to say about here, if you, if you have a house with no utility bills, and no mortgage and no rent. I mean, you don't have any monthly bills, 
really insurance is a, one of the few things you got to pay a little property tax. You end up having to make so little money, the government thinks you're poor. And so they give you money. <laughs> uh, not welfare. The tax system itself is set that way. Not, this isn't welfare or anything like that. They, they think you've got a problem. And so at least you won't pay hardly any taxes that you don't need to pay. You still have to have Social Security and things like well, that. If they have children, it's well, if you have children, it's even better. Uh, some of you already know that. Uh, these, these are kind of funny, so I've got to show you some, just a few of these. One of my former students went to Nicaragua. I was telling you about that. He had seen our hydro plant. This is in Nicaragua. He put in his own hydroelectric plant. The problem is it can go from a trickle to this in three hours. So it was a little bit of a problem because you get these jungle storms and whoosh, but he was running his mission station on that. This is Rudy's setup, and it runs down. It's 2,400 feet, I think, to get 80 feet of drop, and he runs the same hydro plants I do, but they can produce, I think, up to 10 times the power we have because they have that whole stream to work with. And that's his system there, same deal, only that's a 48-volt system. This is the neighbor I caretake their cabin. He has just a simple solar setup. I threw this in because this is in Arizona, and they use a windmill. I've seen a lot of windmills actually here in Texas. I don't know if they're still running, but they could. I got to tell you about this. This is an old, old picture, but this is Linda's. She used this for 10 years in our early days. It's an old ringer washer. You just stuck a belt down to our Pelton turbine in the bottom, and it turned it. And if, you, if it was delicate, you turned the water down a little bit. If it wasn't, you turned it up. And it was ringer uh, setup, worked great. This is our final one. You mothers out there will get a kick out of this. This is one of our neighbors. And um, Kendall had some really dir dirty work clothes. And he just, I don't think mom really wanted them in the washer. He said, I got a solution. They have gravity water. He hooked it up to a pressure washer, put a piece of plywood out, and voila, it even has a soap dispenser on it. You put in first, soaped them up, and in five minutes, he had clean clothes. Now, I don't know how long they're going to last, but that's, that's our deal. We're a little over time, so we'll take another break, and we'll do alpine gardening next time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.